Our meditation for this afternoon comes from Acts chapter 22, verses 22 and 23. Acts chapter 2, 22 through 23. Listen to the word of the Lord. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Our Heavenly Father, as we now turn to hear the proclamation of your word, we pray that you would move by your Holy Spirit, that you would cause us to behold with eyes of faith Jesus Christ, who is lifted up and crucified for our sins. Lord, please take your word and use it to nourish us, to shape us, to form us, to grind away rough edges of sin and selfishness and produce in us the fruit of your spirit in keeping with Christ and his gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we gather this afternoon on Good Friday, we're contemplating the humility and the passion, the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard the psalmist's words quoted by Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We've heard how Jesus' heart was breaking as his body was being broken as he died on the cross. We've heard the narration of Jesus' passion from Mark 15. How justice was perverted. How Christ was mocked. By the soldiers, how Simon of Cyrene carried his cross, how he suffered, how he was crucified, how he died and was buried. But I want us to consider one more angle of the crucifixion of Jesus, and this one from the book of Acts, from Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Peter is preaching to international crowds who were amazed because they were hearing of the gospel spoken in their own language, various languages. And Peter gives a masterful sermon showing how Pentecost itself, how the pouring out of the Spirit is a fulfillment of prophecy and the continuing work of the ascended Christ. But in verses 22 through 24, you'll see that he preaches the gospel. That is, he preaches the work of Christ for sinners in his suffering in his death on the cross, and in his resurrection from the dead. This is the gospel. Whenever you hear me say gospel, I'm referring to this, the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Whenever I say gospel, I'm not referring to anything you have to do, but what has been done for you in the grace of Jesus Christ. This, brothers and sisters, is the gospel, and it is true. And Peter preaches the gospel to these people. So I'd like to spend our time this afternoon, reflecting primarily on verses 22 and 23, on the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. And then on Sunday, we will consider consider in more detail from Acts chapter 2, the rest of Acts chapter 2, considering the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Peter addresses the people of Israel, 
he announces his subject, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth? Maybe you remember the phrase, can anything good come out of Nazareth? These, of course, were the words of Nathaniel before he met Jesus. But Peter's words cause us to remember the humility of Jesus in his incarnation, the Son of God. This is real history. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came down in space and in time and became a human conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. But then he went and lived in Nazareth, as Matthew reports, so that the prophecy would be fulfilled, so that what was spoken by the prophets would be fulfilled, that he shall be called a Nazarene. So he humbly took on human flesh and became a citizen of a good-for-nothing town, Nazareth. But he was no ordinary man. He was a man, but he was God in human flesh. He was God become a man. And he was a man attested to you, Peter says, by God with many works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. He says, you yourselves know this. He was attested to you by God himself with the miracles that he performed. Who could forget the time when he turned water into wine at the wedding of Cana? And there was that time that the crowds brought to Jesus a paralytic. The scribes charged him with blasphemy, but Jesus proved he had the power even to forgive sins by saying, Rise, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And of course, who in that world did not know of Jesus and his miracle in feeding the 5,000? And in all these things, Peter is clear who did these works. It was God through this man, the God-man, Jesus. And he did it all in such a way that everyone saw and knew that he was from God. Even if they suppressed it, they knew it. Even if you suppress this knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus is the only hope of salvation, that he is the Son of God, even if you suppress it, you know it is true. And they knew it was true as well. It is this one, this Jesus, Peter says, who was delivered up unto death. And this sounds strange, perhaps, to us. That Jesus was delivered over to those who hated him. It was delivered over to his enemies by the very hand of God. Why would he do such a thing? Well, we might imagine someone who is disloyal, a rebel, someone who betrays his friends, giving them up to the enemy in order to spare their own lives. The fear of death causes men to do all sorts of evil things. But God has no fear, no fear of death. And it's not as if he were put into a corner and forced to act this way. No, Peter says that God delivered this Jesus up by the definite plan or counsel and foreknowledge of God. So we might hear this word foreknowledge to mean merely that God knew it was going to happen before it happened. But you're likely to know it actually refers to more, uh, more to something which was prearranged. It, it is really a parallel word with the term 
predetermined plan, what he is saying, the predetermined counsel of God, the plan of God. It's mysterious, no doubt, but these couple of words remind us that there is only one sovereign in all the world. There is only one in all of the universe who is in complete control of all that is under his power. The one who created all things is the one who sustains all things, and he is the one who has ordained all things from beginning to end. So the rebellion of Satan did not take God by surprise. The sin of Adam and Eve did not take God by surprise. Neither did the wickedness of of man upon the earth in the days of Noah nor the idolatry of his people Israel, nor the rejection of him as their king. Neither your sin nor my sin has surprised God Almighty. And he wasn't surprised when they took Jesus to kill him. Not at all, for he delivered him up by his own plan and the counsel of his will, Peter says. And that he did so shows that there's a purpose in all of this. It shows there must be a reason behind God delivering up his only son to be killed if he did it, if it was a part of the plan from the beginning. And the scripture tells us that the purpose was in order to take away the sins of the world, to purchase a people for himself. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God delivered Jesus up in order to fulfill his covenant of redemption. To save a particular people for himself. To redeem the elect from all the peoples of the world as his own precious possession. For all who come to Jesus in repentance of their sins and in faith, they become citizens of the kingdom of God. They are forgiven of all of their sins. They are washed and made new. Brothers and sisters, have you sinned this week? Have you been guilty of rebelling against this one and only sovereign of the universe in your thoughts, in your words, and in your deeds? It didn't take God by surprise. And he has given his son, Jesus Christ, so that you can be forgiven of those harsh words you spoke against your spouse or your children. Of those words of gossip. Or or when you lied. Or when you thought with lust upon someone else. Or when, even though you didn't act upon it, you were filled with rage and hatred towards someone who had done wrong to you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, brothers and sisters. God delivered him over so that we could be saved. And in Christ, we are saved. There's a purpose behind God giving His Son up unto death. We will be His people and He will be our God. It's mysterious because although Jesus was delivered by God according to the predetermined plan of salvation, look what Peter does. He rightly lays the blame at the feet of his audience. Men of Israel, you crucified this Jesus. The responsibility is there upon you for your actions. You fastened him to the tree. You killed him. And as though you could wash your hands of it all, you handed it over to the Romans to do your dirty work. 
this Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, God in human flesh, humbled himself even to death, even to a shameful death on the cross. And it's interesting the way Peter puts it, isn't it? Jesus was killed by whom? He says by the hands of lawless men, by the hands of wicked people. Now, of course, who he's referring to, he's referring to the Gentiles who mocked him, who beat him, who shoved the crown of thorns upon his hands, upon his head, who spit on him and drove the nails through his hands and his feet. This is who Peter is talking about. You put him to death by the hands of lawless men. But I'm led to reflect upon my own responsibility in the death of Jesus Christ. Aren't you? For I too was, without the grace of God, a lawless and wicked man. You might react against that and say, I'm not wicked, am I? I'm not evil. Sure, I do bad things, but in my heart, I'm a good person. To say someone is wicked is taboo in our culture. The scripture tells us that all who are without the grace of God, all by their very nature, are rebellious and wicked against him. In their sins, by ourselves, without the grace of God, we are evil. And it is because of our lawless deeds, our sins, in thought, word, and deed, that he was put to death, that Jesus was crucified. Have you ever considered your responsibility in the death of Jesus Christ? If we had never sinned, theoretically, there would be no need for Jesus to die. But he was pierced for our iniquities. He was crushed for our sins. And upon him was the punishment that we deserved. And by his wounds we are healed. So on Good Friday, it's as good as time as ever to reflect upon our sins which pinned Jesus to the cross. And it's worth confessing them to the Lord. And as we do so, we can be sure that God forgives us. That we are forgiven fully and freely by the grace of God, not because of anything that we do or could do, but because of the work which was done for us by Jesus Christ on the cross for sinners. For if our sins, if your sins were pinned to the cross with Jesus, then they no longer condemn you. For Jesus, our Savior, took them and paid our penalty in full. He took them with him to the grave. And while he got up on Easter Sunday, our sins remain buried, never to rise again. So, brothers and sisters, let us stand now and confess our sins to the Lord.